30 on Thursday, August 16th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new organization hopes to provide first responders with the help they need on the job and off-duty. As a first responder, we spend our entire careers solving and dealing with other people's problems. But where do we go when we have our own problems? The agreement is in place. Hear what the state's insurance commissioner has to say about getting two of the state's biggest organizations to the negotiating table. Then we'll hear the story of a mother faced with a life-saving organ donation decision after losing her teenage son. And in our book club, it's Dr. Rick DeShazo on his book highlighting the history of some of Mississippi's medical professionals. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi first responders are celebrating a new organization that provides support as they work to save lives across the state. First Responders of Mississippi, or FROM, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing police, fire, and emergency medical first responders with support at their times of greatest need. From celebrated Wednesday with an inaugural luncheon, bringing together a diverse group, including EMTs, firefighters, state troopers, police officers, and narcotics agents. Ruth Ann Rigby co-founded the nonprofit with her husband, a retired state trooper. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier they'll help with behavioral health issues, disaster relief, financial assistance, for medical care and life-saving equipment. It's a first for Mississippi. There is not an organization uh, like this in our state. And about two years ago, we saw the need come up that we needed to uh, come together as a group to be able to help first responders in their greatest time of need. What's an example of the situations that arise? Small town agencies who are not able to afford equipment that they could apply for assistance from us and uh, like bulletproof vest or a canine unit, they're not afforded uh, the budget that big cities have like we do. And so you're going to be able to help with fundraising for those types of things? Yes, we'll be able to do fundraising for individuals, families, and agencies. For example, it could be a firefighter that was injured in the line of duty and his family needs some extra assistance and they've exhausted all other avenues. Then they could apply for assistance with us and, of course, our board has to vote on every application. Anything that I didn't ask you that's important? It's important that we also have behavioral health and referral services for our first responders. They may have a child who is struggling in their family or a wife or or the first responder themselves and they just don't know where to turn to. They can certainly contact us at First Responders of Mississippi. And how can they reach you? They can email us at info at firstrespondersofmississippi.com or they can call us at 601-540-4423. From co-founder Ruth Ann Rigby, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Tuggle is director of the State Law Enforcement Officer Training Academy and a board member. He tells our Desiree Frazier the entity provides a much-needed resource. As a first responder, we spend our entire careers solving and dealing with other people's problems. But where do we go when we have our own problems? Well, we have an answer to that now, and it is the first responders of Mississippi. So I saw the need to help these guys. We have the highest divorce rates, the highest suicide rates, uh, behavior issues, and that's coming from dealing with all the trauma that we see across the, our, our careers. And uh, the first responders of Mississippi is an opportunity for us, not only me as being a true first responder, but the citizens of this state to give back and help these uh, true warriors. 
What are some of the needs that you uh, see over and over again that you struggle with and want to make a difference? Outside of the mental health issues, one of the things is equipment. We have small departments that are dealing with that element of society that nobody else wants to deal with, um, and they don't have the equipment to to give these guys to protect them. So uh, first responders in Mississippi is there to support them and maybe bulletproof vests, night vision goggles, those things to uh, put them in an advantageous position uh, if they so ever need it. This is exciting for you guys. Do you know of another state that does this? Um, as far as I know, I think we're the only state uh, that uh, have a program that put an organization together like this, and I've traveled around the country extensively. Uh, but I can definitely say in Mississippi they have some of the most um, uh, unselfish citizens in the state. So we're, we're very happy to be here. I'm very happy to be part of this, but not alone and to work alongside some of the best people in the state. And who will you be calling on? What do you want to come out of this? Uh, we want people to know that, you know, we understand the, the, the trauma. We understand the, the hardships that police officers, first responders, firefighters, EMTs deal with. We want these guys to know that we understand. We've been there. We know that you're dealing with issues. Come talk to us. Let us see what we can assist you. Uh, we're human just like you, and uh, we want them to know that because as, as, as law enforcement officers myself, the hardest thing for us to do is reach out for help because we are built to help people. Uh, and we feel if we reach out for help, that's a sign that we can't do our job. It's a sign of weakness. That's not the case. Uh, you got to have strength to do that, and that's what we want these guys to have the courage to do. Board member Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Tuggle. Sarah Lynn McKay is a board member who lost her brother, a first responder. She says participation has helped her overcome some of her grief. In February of 2016, I lost my younger brother, um, Agent Lee Tart, with the Bureau of Narcotics here in Mississippi. And um, it, it was such a, a devastating time for us all, as you can imagine. But we were surrounded by so many uh, law enforcement officers and other first responders, not only throughout the state of Mississippi, but the country that came to us, came alongside, and just gave us this wonderful covering of love and prayer and protection. And they were such an inspiration to us. And um, we were, you know, just deeply moved by the respect that they had for Lee and love. And um, we thought a lot about them, of course, in the days after Lee's death, um, because, you know, we became aware of the fact that they were grieving with us still and hurting. And um, Lieutenant Colonel Rigby and his wife, Ruth Ann, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tuggle, and some others of us, you know, were faced with the question, okay, what can we do to help them? We know now that Lee's future is secure in heaven. There's nothing more that we can do for him. But, you know, how can we bring life into the, the lives of those who are, are still willing to go back out after, you know, a life-changing instant like this and, and do it all again, be willing to at any point put their lives on the line for, you know, the protection of others. And all of our first responders sacrifice so much to be at our beck and call whenever we need them. And they often go without having their needs met, sometimes very basic needs. And so if, um, if I can be a part of a group that works to correct that, to be there, you know, as much as we can to give them comfort and hope, and it, it inspires us, it inspires me, and, uh, and gives me hope. Um, it's allowed me, in a way, to move beyond my own, my own grief. And, uh, and, and hopefully we're going to be doing great things. 
first responders of Mississippi board member Sarah Lynn McCain. State Treasurer Lynn Fitch tells MPB's Desiree Frazier it's an opportunity to thank those who support the community. This is just an organization that is believing and empowering for first responders. We've not had that in our state, and all oh, this is such a giving state, and we were known for being the most charitable giving state in the country. But this is an opportunity to really step up and be there for these people, these brave men and women that are heroes who are supporting us every day. I mean, they're out there rushing to the, the accident, the fire, whatever the case may be, on our behalf while we're going the other way. And so we need to be there for them on a lot of different levels. So we looked at how we could bring this organization together, be citizen-driven, uh, provide funding. You know, many times our first responders might need some financial assistance. They might need some equipment in their agencies or their departments. They might need some behavioral, some mental health, you know, support. And we need to be there for them because they're for us 24-7. How can we help them? And this is the organization to do that. What will be the next step after this inaugural luncheon? For the next step, we'll certainly be raising dollars. We're looking to be doing some training, uh, bringing in some speakers, professionals that might help them, look at the areas, uh, listen back from the different departments, the different first responders, what do they need? So we'll be bringing that all into culmination and looking to do some more training, some more programs that benefit them. Treasurer Lynn Fitch, thank you so much for your time and for what you're doing to help our first responders. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Coming up, hear what the state's insurance commissioner has to say about getting two of the state's biggest organizations to the negotiating table. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you have football fever? On the next MPB Season Pass, we'll speak with Russ Robinson about the upcoming change to Think Radio's Friday night lineup. We're adding high school scores statewide. But who officiates at these games? Would you like to? What about being a tennis or a swimming official? We'll get information about that, too. Today, on MPB Season Pass at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio and on the Internet at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's largest hospital and its largest private insurer are now in agreement. The University of Mississippi Medical Center and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi are announcing a successful new contract agreement. They say all UMMC facilities are are fully participating in network providers. Blue Cross and UMMC issued gratitude to Mississippi Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney for his leadership and encouragement to enter mediation. Prior to the agreement, UMMC contended the insurance company wasn't paying adequate rates for services. Blue Cross Blue Shield stated its reimbursement continued to evolve. Commissioner Mike Cheney tells MPB's Desiree Fraser he's pleased they could resolve their issues. I'm very pleased that the University of Mississippi Medical Center and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi have agreed to continue their network relationship. I commend Vice Chancellor Lou Ann Woodard of the UMMC and Carol Pigott, President of Blue Cross Blue Shield, for the exceptional leadership in bringing this matter to a resolution. I would like to offer a special thanks to the mediator John Corlew or Corlew, Munford, and Smith, PLLC, for his efforts in helping the parties find common ground. It's truly a good day for those who rely upon the University Medical Center and Blue Cross Blue Shield for the finance and the delivery of health care in this state. And this will also ensure that those folks that have blue cards from other states can use the University Medical Center also. So it affects probably over 100,000 people in this state at a minimum. Are you relieved? Was there ever a sense that uh, this is coming to a head and we don't know what's going to happen? 
Well, we I am relieved. Uh, as you know, when you appoint a mediator, we're completely out of the loop. I found out that the settlement had been made about the same time that the press did, and we're not even privy to what the terms of the settlement are at this point. But we are just pleased that they have reached a settlement. The parties have reached a settlement, as I said before. So we're not privy to what that settlement is, and that's the way the process should work. These are private industries, and um, that's not our job as a regulator. Our job as a regulator is to be certain that all the parties uh, treat the consumers correctly and fairly in all issues, whether it's life insurance, property and casualty, or health insurance. Anything else that you can add that I didn't ask you? Well, we truly appreciate the parties working this out. It did take a little over seven weeks for the mediation to uh, be completed. Uh, and that's not um, unnormal or unusual in our most cases with health care. So we're very pleased with what's happened. UMMC and Blue Cross offered no further comments on the details of the agreement. Coming up, we'll hear the story of a mother faced with a life-saving organ donation decision after losing her teenage son. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB News is leading the way, covering stories that matter to Mississippians with five first-place awards from the Associated Press, including breaking news, radio achievement, and public affairs reporting. Your source for a deeper look at today's top story is MPB News. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Mississippi mother is encouraging families to celebrate the life of a loved one by considering organ donation. Kasney Rayford lost her son, Tylan, in July of 2017. She says she didn't hesitate to give back when given the opportunity. Rayford is partnering with the Mississippi Organ Recovery Agency and advocacy nonprofit Wear It Well to promote the life-saving gifts of organ, eye, and tissue donation. She tells us she doesn't yet know how many lives her son's donation has helped, but she hopes there are many. Tylen was my son, um... He's very compassionate. Um, He was a very giving, charismatic, um, humble kid. Um, I never had a day's problem out of Thailand. He was, of course, we were were from Memphis, so he was born in Memphis. uh, And at an early age, he had a a little accident that caused a burn on his left cheek. Um, So Thailand was um, blessed to become a recipient um, when he was just born and received a skin grab. So he kind of knew the ins and out of the benefits of uh, having a donor on hand. So um, he was just a humble kid. He had a passion for sports. He was probably one of the biggest linemen on the team at North Pontotoc High School. Um, he was labeled as a gentle giant because he stood at uh, six feet tall and weighed 290 pounds. <laughs> and um, he was just he was just a very compassionate kid. Did you know right away that you would donate Tylen's organs? Absolutely. Um, we got a, received a call from Mora uh, the day after Tylen passed, and without hesitation, um, we knew that Tylen would want to give back, um, considering that Tylen had received the skin graft when he was just a baby. We knew that Tylen would, it would be an honor for him to give back what he had received. So we, that was not a question. When they called, we were on board automatically. It's interesting because I'm sure you're in the minority. People, mm-hmm. uh, loved ones are in the worst period of grief following the death of someone that you love so dearly. What do you say to those who have to make that decision right away? I know it's very tough, um, and I I will give Maura 
um, they did an excellent job as far as uh, the compassion on their team. They explained everything very well. Like I said, we were somewhat familiar with the process, so we knew uh, the benefits of donating because we had received with Thailand, you know, years ago. But Maura took the time to explain the process. They explained what we could donate, um, who could benefit from the donation. So it was hard, but at the same time, they made it a little bit easier. And at the end, as, you know, everything went through, the funeral and all that, um, those events that took place, after all that went away, it was kind of like a little peace knowing that Thailand gave. You know, after everything was over, it was just, it was, it brought somewhat peace to me. You're on a, a campaign and, and you have been since Taiwan died. What are you telling people, particularly African Americans? Because I was surprised to see that a large percentage of African Americans right. are in need of an, a donated organ. Right. So after doing research on organ donor, I found that the need for donors within the minority community is very high right now. I saw this need and realized that as an African-American myself, it's time to change the statistics um, and get our community on board. Um, So the key is to educate and at the same time see if we can get more donors during these critical times. Is the best way for someone to become a donor by indicating it on their driver's license? Yes, uh, more has it where you, it's, it's very easy now. All you need is just to bring your driver's license and you're signed up. Of course, you can sign up online. You can sign up on Facebook, I believe. So they're making it to where it's a lot more easier than it has been in the past. And like I said, I think it's lack of awareness from our communities as to why we hadn't signed up. So my goal is to educate as many as we can um, and let them know you know, hey, this it's easier now. You know, these are the benefits. Um, you know, we're on the lower end of the list, and we just need to step that up a little bit. When you sign up to donate, do you know if you can specify what organs you would like to donate or how your remains will be used? Yes, you can. You can specify. Um, there are many different type of things that I wasn't even aware of that you can donate. There's more than just organs. There's tissue. Um, there's skin, um, bone. So there, uh, there's plenty more things that you can donate. You just have to, um, you know, take the time out or where I call me or call Mora and we can explain it a little better because um, it's just more than just organs. What would you like to leave our listeners with? What's most important to you and what you can convey to people? Organ donor saves lives. I would say um, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Um, You know, if you hadn't accomplished anything that you felt that you needed to do, giving this gift will actually help someone out in the long run. So I would definitely... Uh, consider it. If you hadn't considered it, I would definitely take time to, to think about giving a gift of life. Kasney Rayford is promoting life-saving gifts of organ, eye, and tissue donation following the death of her 18-year-old son, Tylan. And we thank you so much for being with us, Kasney. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. For information on organ donation, visit Mora's website at msora.org. Coming up in our book club, it's Dr. Rick DeShazo on his book, highlighting the history of some of Mississippi's medical professionals. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
MPB Watch Us Shine brings together some of your favorite MPB radio and TV stars. Join Walt Grayson, Deborah Hunter, Wyatt Waters, Robert St. John, Marshall Ramsey, Bill Ellison, and Felder Rushing for a magical evening of never-before-seen footage and remarkable gems from our vault. It's a night of star-studded entertainment, major announcements, and a chance to win fabulous prizes. MPB Watch Us Shine premieres Thursday, August 23rd at 7 p.m. on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Mississippi Book Festival is now just days away, and as we prepare for the literary lawn party, we're sitting down with some of Mississippi's authors. In today's book club, hear the familiar voice of Dr. Rick DeShazo. His new book, The Racial Divide in American Medicine, looks at the history of the many challenges faced by black physicians practicing in Mississippi. He explains health disparities in the state. Health disparities are uh, differences in health outcomes between segments of a population, in this case, Mississippi, where there are major differences in lifespan, the prevalence of diabetes, hypertension, heart failure, and so forth, that are not explained solely by economic status. In general, African Americans live somewhere between three to five years less than whites in our state. What about poor education or access to doctors and health care? Does that play a part? Health disparities are not totally explained by uh, economic status. However, they track with it more closely than any of the other factors. Access to health care, bias in health care against uh, African-Americans and other people of color, rural status. All of these so-called social determinants of health are on the wrong side numerically in Mississippi, primarily because of our long history of poverty and racial discrimination. The point of the book is to try to explain why we have such profound health disparities, the worst in the country. Economics is a big part of it, but how do people get poor and stay poor? Well, it has to do with education. It has to do with access to good education, nuclear families that are able to support young people. The rural nature of the state has been a big issue. Now that we have so many electronic resources, I think we're going to see less of that going forward. But the pockets of poverty in our state are located in the rural areas and in the city centers of the state. We don't have that many large centers, so we have a great deal of poverty uh, in uh, our state in rural areas. And that's poverty not only for African Americans. Uh, Health disparities aren't only a problem uh, for African Americans. It's also a problem for impoverished whites, Hispanics, and other populations in the state. So if you're impoverished, more likely than not, your health statistics are not positive for a long and healthy lifespan. You have contributors, a number of contributors to this book, including former Governor William Winter. What are those individuals contributing? The 
co-authors of the book are folks who have worked to try to understand why we have health disparities and to move beyond those by developing environments where we can deal with the issues. For instance, uh, Governor Winter was a big, big sponsor, as you know, of education. And that includes medical education because we have the worst ratio of physicians to patients. That is, we have the fewest physicians per patient in the country. So we've had the most profound shortage of physicians since the statistics were kept. And Governor Winter and others saw the educational problem uh, with that. And there was also another problem which uh, Governor Winter identified, and that was the whole issue of how segregated our uh, educational system was. If you were African-American, you could not go to medical school in Mississippi until the late 70s. There's a lot of original data in here, especially information we obtained from Bill Miner, Robert Smith, and uh, before his death, Aaron Shirley also were very helpful in discovering some of this new information. Dr. Richard DeShazo is the author, one of the authors, of The Racial Divide in American Medicine, Black Physicians and the Struggle for Justice in 